Good morning. Turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians. We start a new series uh, this morning. Um, I have to tell you, uh, I had other plans for the next series because I kind of have this pattern. Uh, I don't follow it, you know, to T, but uh, usually kind of rotate between the Old and New Testament when it comes to our longer preaching series. And so I just kind of settled in on Job in uh, the Old Testament. And so I threw that to the other pastors in Nona. And they helped me realize something is that uh, for a while we've been in pretty grim material. Um, and I got to looking at, uh, at the past year or more and we, uh, we, we had Ecclesiastes, which is basically life is vain, and then we die. Um, and then we looked at the Sermon on the Mount, which is basically uh, you're awful and not doing near what you should be doing according to the standards of Christ. Uh, and then we just got done in su- uh, through in summer uh, a, uh, a series on hidden idols of the heart. So the, the overarching theme has been the world is awful. You are awful, and no, really, you're a lot more awful than you even think you are. And so we're going to go to Philippians, a book of joy. But Paul's in jail, so there's still enough edge to satisfy me. So that's a little behind the scenes of uh, sometimes how series uh, get, come about. But I do think it's a, it's a great moment as we have looked at some, uh, some heavy, heavy things to look at the heaviness of joy that comes uh, through the gospel uh, to Paul's letter to the Philippians. It says this in verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer uh, with joy, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it all to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with, uh, with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense, uh, defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may be able to prove, so that you may approve what is ed- ed- excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of God. What I want to look at this morning is how Paul feels about about and prays for the Philippians who are his partners in the gospel. Um, We have a tendency, I think, sometimes when we read the letters in the New Testament, it's kind of the greeting. It's just we kind of skim past that, right? Like that's just kind of the formality that Paul goes through so that we can get to the meat of the letter. But there's really some interesting things in this opening green. That's what this this entire uh, part that we're looking at this morning is, is just the opening greeting. 
And there's some ways, there's some things he does different in this letter that he doesn't do in others. And there's, there's ways he kind of changes the normal writing of letters of, of his time uh, that really point out some amazing things. There's some ways in which he really casts uh, where he's going, uh, some themes that he's going to be hitting uh, as he writes this letter. And so I think this will be a very helpful uh, thing to look at as we, we look at this greeting. First, we see that Paul uh, demonstrates humility towards his gospel partners. He demonstrates humility towards his gospel partners. Let's break down just kind of who's involved here, right? We have Paul. Uh, Paul really needs no big introduction to most of us, but I'll, I'll just give a brief uh, summation of who he was. Paul was a man, a zealous, zealous Pharisee who... Um, was so zealous for God, he felt like Christianity was a threat. And so he began to persecute the church. He, uh, when, when Stephen was, uh, was uh, stoned, he actually held the clothes while the other men uh, killed this great man of God, this great Christian. So Paul, he persecuted the church, and that's what he was about for a while. And then he's on the way to do some more persecution, and something happens. A post-resurrected uh, Christ appears before him, strikes him blind, says, why are you persecuting me? Paul suddenly realizes he's been on the wrong side of things. And then he becomes not just a preacher of the gospel, but someone who endures incredible persecution, uh, imprisonment, as, as we'll see that he's writing this letter from, and all kinds of beatings, all kinds of threats to his life that he's he's going to be worried about in this letter of, of, of dying. And so he, this man that, that was the persecutor of the church is now the persecuted for Christ. And uh, what a great transformation that is. We don't really know uh, which imprisonment this is. We don't know where he was imprisoned. Um, there's a lot of debate about that. It seems that this is not his final imprisonment, that he will find freedom again before his final imprisonment and death. But we're going to see in this letter, he doesn't know that. That he's really not sure if he's going to see another day alive. That, that he's, he's ever going to see the light of day again before they kill him. And so he's, he's very unsure of things, which is amazing that this is a book of joy in the midst of those type of circumstances. And we see the Philippians. The Philippians church... Uh, seems to be a phenomenal church um we a lot of times we see paul jump into his his letters with like right at the beginning like what the heck like the corinthians like what are y'all doing galatians you're you're turning away from the gospel what's going on but with the philippians we see just a very heartfelt outpouring of praise and just all these things that he says about them uh and how much they mean to him and how much they are supportive of him this is a great, great church with a lot of amazing things happening. He addresses it this way, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. And I, I think we, it's a good thing to mention here. We see the two offices of the church uh, that it is addressed to the entire church and the overseers, pastors, elders, a plurality of those men, more than one, 
and then deacons, more than, more than a plurality of deacons. And so there's a group of men, uh, of, of the overseers, of the elders, and then you had uh, the deacons. And that's why our church is set up the way it is, where we don't have a boss man uh, and a bunch of ministry underlings. We have pastors, and, and we feel like that is the pattern that we see in the early church of, of, of men that lead uh, together. But I digress because this is not the, the main point of this letter and this opening is it's written to all the saints, that all the church of Philippi, it's a very personal le- uh, letter. And that's important. If we're to understand these letters, we, must, we need to realize that these letters were written to people that, that Paul knew and loved and he was aware about certain circumstances that were uh, going on in the church, as we'll see. And so these letters, no matter what letter it is in the New Testament, it's written to very specific people going through certain things with certain people being identified. And so these are personal letters. And that's important for us to understand as we look at them. And we see the, uh, the circumstances of the letters this, is that the Philippians hear that their beloved Paul was in prison. So they send a care package through a guy named Epaphroditus, okay? And we don't know what was in the package, maybe clothes, maybe writing utensils. If it was a good Baptist church, they'd probably send a couple of casseroles because uh, that's what we do. But there was a care package that this man brought uh, to Paul. And, and so apparently he was under a type of house arrest where he could write letters, where he could receive people, talk to people. And so he wasn't like in a deep dungeon at this time. Um, but, but they bring this care package to him. And, and so what happens is, after he receives that care package, he sets down and he writes this letter. Okay, So those are the circumstances, those are the people involved in the circumstances of this letter being written. And from the onset, we see a very interesting thing. We see that Paul demonstrated humility, even in his opening statements. In every other letter of Paul, Paul... Paul starts off by saying, I'm Paul, I'm the apostle, I'm the apostle chosen by Christ. And so Paul usually lists his credentials of of why he's writing that letter, because I'm Paul, I'm the apostle. God's made me an apostle. We don't see that happen with this letter. We see that Paul starts off by saying, me me and Titus, we're, we're... we are servants of Christ. We're servants of Christ. That's all we are. That's all that matters is that you know that we're servants of Christ. We're going to strip all of our terms away and, and all our titles that I could use and just say we are servants of Christ. And then what does he do as we already saw? He addresses the church and then he addresses the offices in the church. And so what he does is is he downplays his title, he elevates the titles that exist in that church as he talks about overseers and deacons. And so what what does that all mean? We know that Paul is going to write in this very next chapter as he continues this letter about humility, about counting others more than yourself. Okay, in in, in chapter 2 he's going to actually say, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. And so Paul is already through his actions of just getting the first sentence out is he's practicing the humility that he's going to call 
the Philippians 2. That's a great lesson, I think, for us as parents or for any of us, is to, when we have something to say, when we want to give teaching, it's good to think about how do I lay the groundwork of example before I give that teaching, right? And that's what Paul's doing here. He's, he's starting off this letter in a way that will demonstrate humility for these people that he's going to tell them, be humble, be humble like Christ, be humble, count others more significant than yourselves. And that's a great just side lesson, I think, we can take from this as we teach our kids, as we teach others, is let it come from laying the groundwork that this is how I'm living. And next, we see Paul's thankfulness for the support of his gospel partners. Okay? Paul is thankful to have partners in the gospel. Now, Paul's letter to the Philippians refers often to the gospel. Okay? Here in verse 5, he calls them his partners in the gospel. And so as we go through this book that's going to throw the gospel, the word gospel out there, I really want us to kind of get, just kind of get on the same page as to what the gospel is. That's important. I don't want to, I don't want to just believe that every one of you knows exactly what the gospel, when we say the gospel, what, when Paul writes the gospel, what he means. So what is the gospel? What, what the gospel is not, it's not a type of music. Gospel music. I had a buddy of mine, and uh, just thought this story was funny. Um, he, he was at his fiance's family uh, get-together, and he made the bad mistake in the South of saying, I don't like Southern gospel. And, and, and his fiance's grandmother said, you don't like the gospel? My friend said, no, 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 I love the gospel. The gospel is great. I'm just, I'm talking about a style of music. And so gospel is not a type of music. I mean, I guess it is, but that's not the gospel. And it's not the general totality of the faith. I once was interviewing someone that was raised at White. I asked them, what, you know, tell me the gospel. And they said, oh, I was raised on the gospel. We were in church every Sunday. And, and in his mind, it seemed like the gospel just was simply just everything, just going to church. That's the gospel. And and the gospel is much more specific than that. The gospel is not even the moral teachings of Jesus. Some want to make the gospel simply the teachings of, De- of, of Jesus, especially uh, those that contain moral teaching, that, hey, the gospel, it's about, it's about just living the, 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 the teachings of Jesus. But can I tell you this morning that the morality The morality of Jesus and the morality of his teaching, it's not good news apart from his work on the cross. Okay, you understand what I'm saying? Simply the teachings of Jesus saying, do this, love your neighbor, and all these great, amazing commands that absolutely we should go hard after because Jesus said to do do them. But if there is no cross in which he died to fulfill those things perfectly for us, it's not good news. It's very bad news because all Jesus did, if he's just our example and he's just a teacher of morality, all he did was just raise the bar so much higher than it had been before he came and showed us how to live and told us how to live. 
So the good news, what we call the gospel, is, is not just the moral teachings of Jesus. The gospel is simply the good news of Christ's coming. That, that God sent his son. Uh, I mean, there's different ways to sum it up, but the gospel is the good news that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to live a life we could not live and die a death we deserve so that we could be forgiven of our sins and receive the righteousness of Christ. And this work was confirmed by the resurrection. I mean, that's, that's the gospel, folks. It's the good news of Jesus coming and dying for us and resurrecting again. Now, I think sometimes we, and myself included, I think a lot of times we talk about, man, I'm just living out the gospel. And, and that's fine as long as living out the gospel is getting you to the point where you can tell someone the gospel. You know, we, we, we hear the, uh, hey, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. That's like going to a newscaster and saying, share the news tonight, but don't use words. I mean, good luck with that, right? And, and that is really, the gospel is not primarily a way of life that we live. It's, it's primarily news that we share. And yes, we want to live out the truths of the gospel. We want to live in light of the gospel. Absolutely. But we must realize that we can't just be nice and say, hey, I'm living the gospel out. If we never get to the point of telling someone, this is what Christ, this is, this is the gospel. This is why I'm living this way is because of what Christ did. I think it's important that we understand that. Paul is not in jail because of living the gospel. He is in jail for preaching the gospel. The partnership that he and the Philippians have is based on the spreading of the good news of Jesus Christ. And we see that they're not just supporters of Paul's teaching. They are preaching the gospel themselves in verse 7 he says for you all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel paul is not just thankful that they support his ministry from a distance he is thankful that they have a ministry of their own you know us as pastors it means a lot when you support us when you encourage us but nothing encourages us more than when you have gospel ministry when you speak of someone that you shared the gospel with or someone that you're getting to know in preparation of sharing the gospel with or some ministry that you want to start because you want to share the gospel they're not just partners from afar they're yeah they're supporting paul at the same time and they're reaching people and they're they're uh, proclaiming christ as well you see that Paul is, is thankful to, to see God working through the Philippians. Verse 6, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's clear that Paul is deeply moved by the care this church is showing him. Paul uses words like joy and feelings and yearnings and affections and, 
And he even mentions he holds them in his heart. And he credits them with this amazing outpouring of love that they've shown him. But he also is very clear of the fact that it is God that's working in them, and it's God that will continue to work in them until his work in them is complete. And I love that about I love that about Paul so often that he and we'll see it at the end of this is that he emphasizes both how you're striving after Christ, but it's the power of Christ in you that's equipping you to do that. And Paul is just encouraging them, saying, "Man, I'm seeing the work in you. Don't give up, though. You're not done. Keep going, because he who began this work that's that's causing you to be." Preachers of the gospel that's causing you to, to go after uh, God is, the, is, the, is going to continue. God's going to continue to work out and, and, and do the things that, that you need to have done to you to grow you. And then we see Paul's prayers for growth in his gospel partners. There's, no, there's simply no doubt that the Philippian church was a great church, but just the way Paul treats them, the way he, he speaks of them, they were a great church. And yet Paul prays. He says, I'm praying that even more will happen through you, that you will grow and abound even more. And you know, I, I think that why it's a great church. We're at least a good church. I, mean, I think you look around that we're... we're we're, we love the truth. I think we stand for the truth. We stand for the biblical, you know, what is true and what the Bible says. I feel like we're loving our community through lots of different ministries. But let us never, ever for one moment say we've arrived. We always need to abound more and more and more. Just as Paul prays for this good church. He says, in verse 9, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So we see that the first thing he prays for is growth in love. The Philippians were a loving church and it shows in their care for Paul but he prays that it will abound even more and more. 1 Corinthians 13 is clear. You can can get everything else right, okay? You can do all all the things right that that you need to do in the faith and, and be a church that does all the right things, but if you lack love, you're useless. We have to have love. We can get the truth right, we can live righteous lives and start many programs to serve others, but if it's not motivated out of a love, then it's not, it's nothing. The Philippians had love, but what is Paul's charge? That they would abound more and more and more in love. Strive to love better. Y'all are awesome lovers. Strive to love even better. Then we see that, and they, they, he kind of attaches them 
uh, in love with growth in knowledge and discernment. Love must be, be, uh, be coupled in knowledge and discernment so that we may be able to approve what is excellent. What must be growing in the we must be growing in the tree and the truth so that we can look at the world and say, This is what God said is good, and we can definitively say that because that's what God's word says. This is what's excellent. I think I think love devoid of knowledge is, is a lot of what we can bump into in our culture right now. That, that people seeking, hey, we just want to love people. And so in our society, what love is, is a fr- affirmation of, I have to affirm everything about you or I don't love you. And we're seeing that in our culture, that it's a, it's a love that's not, not coupled with knowledge and with discernment, just love. No, we are, we are to love our fellow man. We are to, in every way that we possibly can, demonstrate our love and respect for the image of God that they bear. I don't care who they are, what they've done, what they're engaged in, they still bear the image of God, though very, very marred, just like we bear a very marred image of Christ, of God before our conversion when we are made perfectly righteous. But yet we must only affirm what God affirms. We grow in our knowledge and discernment that we might be able to approve what is excellent in God's eyes despite what the world says is good and excellent. It takes knowledge and discernment and it's going to take a lot of wisdom to navigate the new world in which we appear to be headed towards. If the church throws out knowledge and discern, if, if, if the church throws knowledge and discernment overboard and seeks to only hold on to love, then we must realize that the gospel goes overboard with the truth. That when you throw away knowledge, I mean, the, the, the gospel is the most offensive part of Christianity. If you get really down to it and to what it's saying, that, that we're so desperately wicked that God had to kill his son, you're eventually going to have to throw that overboard if you're really going to be loving and, and affirming of people around you. But if the church throws love overboard and clings to knowledge and discernment, we'll become very cold. We'll board up the windows of our houses and our church and we'll cling to the truth and discernment and just let the world, let the lost die in the streets. Because we don't want to get out there and love people. We might get dirty. If we're going to be any kind of church, we must be a church with a big heart and a big brain. A church that that sees the hurting and desires and longs to, to reconcile the hurting to God, but a church that realizes that I also have to protect the truth that I'm going to get to them 
Because if I cast the truth aside, if I water down the truth, by the time it gets to the person I'm trying to love, it's not going to help them. So we've got to, we've got to have both. It's of utmost importance. And he, he prays grow, uh, that they might have growth in the fruit of righteousness through Christ. It says in verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Philippians is a letter that, that calls, that's calling a church to press on. It's a letter that's causing a good church to press in even further into being what God has called them to be. It's going to come up, that concept's going to come up time and time again. And we're going to be a, a, a church made up of people desiring to be filled with the fruit of righteousness. But how does this fruit come? Was it Jesus just set us free at salvation and now we are to muster up our own fruits, our own good deeds? No, it, this verse clearly says that it comes through Jesus Christ. The gospel, we got to realize, the gospel is not merely what, what tips the church into the king, or tips you into the kingdom and then it has no more bearing on you. No, the gospel is what tips you into the kingdom and carries you throughout your life and then what carries you into glorification. It's all the work of Christ. It's not primarily about sinning less and doing more good. It's about nurturing an utter dependence on Jesus Christ and what He has done for us through the Gospel. We begin by Christ. We live through Christ and we will die in Christ. And that is our hope. That is why Paul chastised the Galatians. Having begun by the Spirit, are you suddenly now being justified by the flesh. It's all Christ. You can't abandon, you can't, you can't just look at it as what tips you into the faith. The gospel is what sustains every moment that you live. So what Philippians is going to teach us is that the gospel is worth whatever it calls us to. That what Philippians or what Paul saw is that, and we're going to see next week, Paul saw, man, it's nothing to be in prison because I'm in prison for the gospel. And the Philippians, they don't, they don't mind making casseroles and sending people to Paul because, man, it's our privilege to serve this man who has served us with the gospel. And so there's this partnership surrounded around this unifying beauty of the gospel. That's what we're going to see in Philippians. That, that's the joy in Christ. That's where it's going to come from. The beauty of what Christ has done unites us and, and makes us joyful. Do you have that kind of affection for Christ and that kind of affection for the gospel? Do you, do you love it like Paul and 
Philippians, brother. I got to be honest. I, as I was studying this, I don't know that I do, but I'm I'm hoping that through their example, as we go through this series, that that I will grow to be like Paul in the Philippians. Christian, are are you growing in your love and your discernment and in your fruit of righteousness that only comes through Christ? Or are you trying to muster up things on your own? Trying to muster up a Christless morality when there's a power source in Christ that will ignite your fight against sin. It will fight your growth in the faith and your pursuit of Christ if you would merely plug yourself into the work of Christ and what He's already done. I'm going to ask, uh, ask you to please stand and, and respond uh, to God's Word this morning. Kind of a big introduction, a lot of different themes in here, but I hope God's spoken to you, spoken to your heart this morning, and that you'll respond however God has spoken to you to respond. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you that you unite people in the gospel. God, that you united Paul with the Philippians in this great relationship, and God, unite us that are gathered here in a gospel partnership. God, I pray that the banner over our lives would would be proclamation of the gospel. God, that everything that we do will come through our love and affection and dependence upon Jesus Christ and His work for us. God, move in our hearts this morning.